Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a very special guest that you're you're going to enjoy. This is going to be a really great podcast. And I'm happy to have her here. And she's going to talk about her book, which is a really good book, and some other things about her. Dana, could you um, introduce yourself to us? Yes, absolutely. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. My name is Dana Niger. I was born and raised in West Los Angeles, but relocated to the Gainesville, Georgia area and um, actually went to college at Agnes Scott College, the private women's college in greater metro Atlanta and have since set up shop here. Um, I've been here now more than half my life. I have a family, uh, husband, son, three dogs in the greater metro Atlanta area. And just earlier this year, put out my first book. Before I knew it, they were gone. A Jewish first-generation American woman's journey through the darkness, which is actually my memoir. <laughs> Sorry, super excited about that. Thanks again for having me. I'm very pleased to have you. And I'm excited about what you write about. When when I've been widowed twice, and both times I was looking for books that I could read that, that would help me or that I could get something out of. And... I would say most of the books that are, are written about grief are memoirs, and a lot of them are just a long, sad story. And with yours, your book was so interesting, you know, going from one thing to the next and gave me so much to think about that I really appreciated that a lot. So thank you for that. <laughs> no, thank you. I really appreciate that feedback. It's been so interesting since the book came out January, I think January 3rd was my launch. I mean, it was like beginning of the year, boom, right? And it's been a whirlwind with a small book tour. And now I've got a speaking circuit coming off of it, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and the speaking circuit tends to be around healing and the healing journey associated with whatever the trauma is, getting into therapy and and figuring out what that healing journey is going to be and look like for the individual, right? The speaking circuit in particular has been mainly around collegiate athletics. I was honored with the opportunity to be athletic back in the day. I'm not so much anymore, but <laughs> I did play three collegiate level sports with Agnes Scott College at Division Three: soccer, basketball, and softball. I do talk about it in the book. And I think that Part of the desire to want to learn, want to grow comes from that kind of background, that kind of exposure. Um, and the book really goes into, and I think that therapy as a whole, it really goes into how so many different kinds of things can appear to be like therapy, which is great. But I do want to talk specifically today about identifying a particular therapist or counselor, developing a relationship, right? And really taking those conversations to the next level as far as healing. Oh, I'm so glad you're going to talk about that. I think that we need to talk more about that because so many times people have kind of a fear about any kind of therapy. Yeah. Uh, they, they associate it with the stigma of not being strong enough or something being wrong. 
And the other thing that I hear a lot is when people are seeking therapists to help them with their grief, they end up with a therapist who hasn't dealt with their own grief on anything. And that always astonishes me. Why are you counseling somebody about something that you really don't know from firsthand experience that much? Sure. Human nature certainly allows us to dole out that, that advice a lot easier than it is to take and accept it, right? And I think part of that is because we are all a little bit skewed. I don't want to say broken. I personally label myself as broken and on my way to being complete, if you will. But I am still very much a broken person. I'm on this on this lovely call with you. And I'm super excited about this podcast. I'm excited for all of your, your followers. But there are some deep things that we're, we're going to chat about here today. <laughs> and that's important, talking about those deep things. Because that's another thing that people have challenges with in grief is not sharing. A lot of times people find that people that they would have talked about, uh, talked to kind of disappear after the death of a loved one. And there's all, all sorts of different reasons for that. Lots of times they can't handle it themselves. They don't know what to say. And so they just choose to stay away. There's all kinds of reasons. But I think it's vital to talk or write. I, I really encourage people to write with about what they're dealing with. Mm. It, it's it's necessary to explore those things. Now, you had a whole bunch of different opportunities for grief within a short time period. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I did. So in my short 43 years, which most people are like, what, you have a memoir and you're 43? That doesn't make any sense. Unfortunately, I've experienced a lot of life in those short 43 years, as you mentioned so eloquently, Emily, and I did end up, unfortunately, losing both my parents before graduating college. I lost my father at 20 and my mother at 21, and bizarrely, they shared the same death anniversary. They literally died a year apart, mere hours between each other. I like to romanticize that, to be perfectly frank, and say that my mother just could not live another moment without my father. Right. And I love that kind of thought. It makes me feel good. So we go with that in my family. And then my brother, I lost 10 years later. Um, I lost both my parents to two different kinds of cancer. And unfortunately, I lost my brother to a heart attack. Um, He was morbidly obese with adult onset diabetes and was not treated for such things. And at 26 years old, had a heart attack and passed away which was incredibly debilitating to me because I really felt that particular death could have been avoided. And so that one created a tremendous amount of guilt and emotion, et cetera. I ended up after my brother passing and realizing that I was an orphan and basically by myself at that point, even though I was an adult or pseudo adult or however you want to say it, right? I was 30 when my brother passed and I realized that uh, I was completely alone in the world or so I thought and ended up drinking myself to sleep every night significantly, Mm -hmm. probably about a handle of scotch every night for about 30-ish days, which is, as most people listening would know, not healthy in the least. When I realized what I was doing about a month in, I sought the assistance and help of a dear family friend of ours who's a licensed physician had a very intense meeting. It just basically expressed that I've screwed up my sleep schedule. I realize that I'm doing things wrong. I really need to get back on track. Is there anything that you can suggest for me to help get me back on track as far as sleep? Because rest, as we know, is so vital. And he was very kind and expressed to me that I 
that he was sensing a little bit of anxiety as well as the fact that my sleep cycle was off and put me on a very mild dose of trazodone. And I'm, I'm very cautious to share these things, but also very transparent about them for this particular reason. There are plenty of people hiding the fact or don't feel comfortable sharing the fact and have the right to do so because they're on some sort of medication, whether it's for neurodivergency, for mental health, you know, whatever the case may be, right? I share because yes, my my particular dosage was very mild, but in a six month period, I was able to write, write the wrong, if you will, that I had done to myself. My sleep cycle was able to snap back, you know, to regular, and I was off of it within a six month period. And I like to share that from the perspective of yes, while things were mild, this is also a very normal, typical process that I think a lot of people out there go through. Um, having the relationship, which everything is about networking and who you know, right? So having the relationship with someone you can sit down with, share your fears, your concerns, that is that is what was most important there. And this physician friend of mine was able to actually say, I really think it's time for you to spend some significant time in therapy now. Now, I will share, after my father passed, I was a rising junior in college and spent a year in therapy through my college, which was wonderful. These were uh, sessions that were offered to students basically for free, right? And I paid for a few extra sessions after that to make the full year go because I think you only get a certain amount, kind of like insurance. Regardless, it was incredibly helpful. And I will never forget the man, (laughs) I won't share his name, but I will never forget the man who's a professor and also a licensed therapist that I worked with on that very first year after my, my first loss. I was a rising senior when my mother passed and went to back to the same gentleman and spent another year that year with him and, and paid a little extra to keep those processes going. And I will say that my super awesome college, Agnes Scott College, now has a fund associated with for students who lose loved ones that will help them with the various needs, whether it's traveling if they're unable to afford that or if they need to go quickly, for example, which sometimes happens with various religious backgrounds and creeds and cultures, right? And that is just a fabulous thing to hear about my alma mater. <laughs> that that's great. It really is because that's something that is kind of ignored. That yeah. and it's essential for students. I I know I was uh, um, teaching at the university when my dad died, and I was amazed at how everybody like ran the other way from me. Nobody said anything to me. And yeah. I think that that was harder than than most anything else, because I just wanted somebody to, you know, come give me a hug or, you know, something. Yeah. And there was there was absolutely nothing. And, and to see that available for students is just a wonderful thing. And, and we're having more and more reasons for students to need that that particular kind of counseling these days. We with really, the really, really high suicide rates and all the gun violence and everything that's going on. Yeah. Death is not just for older people anymore, like people used to kind of put it in a category that, that that's something you think about late in life. And that's not the way it is. So for a college just, to recognize that and do that is fabulous. Well, I'll be honest with you, Emily, and I appreciate all of your words. At the time, of course, I didn't realize what was being laid as far as a foundation for my healing journey, right? This particular therapist was 
paramount in getting me to write things down, utilize journaling as, I guess, an alternative to his therapy as well. And you as a professional writer and, and published author, you know the power of the pen to, to paper, right? So I will say that for anyone out there, if you're just not quite ready to take that leap and make the relationship with a particular therapist or counselor, please start journaling, please start writing. No one has to see any of that, but you would be so surprised at how amazing you will feel even after just a moment. Just set a super simple clock, a five-minute right alarm or something, and just start writing. And eventually, you'll even start noticing that you're maybe not holding that pen or pencil or, or writing utensil as tightly and as frustratedly, and maybe the ink itself isn't as dark or as blurred as you start going, you'll see the physical changes on the paper because I definitely noticed that with my own. And funny enough, or however we want to label that, the journaling that I did, I saved and I have boxes and boxes of journals, the fun black and white splatter looking that that's everybody what I use. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you used. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's what we all use. Everyone uses them. They're the best. And that is actually the start of how my book came together, which was oh. a total accident. <laughs> That's really interesting. My my book was an accident, also my first book, because I, I, as much as I write, I wasn't writing for anybody else. And, and the writing was helping me a great deal. But I had a, a friend of my husband's died maybe six months after he did suddenly. And he, they were a lot younger. We were family friends. And he and his wife had a daughter early in college and another late in high school. And he just died on his way home from work one night. And I was so concerned for his wife because she would have had no no warning whatsoever. And all of a sudden she's in this position. So I thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna write her something every week for a year because you know it's not the two weeks after where everybody sends flowers and cards and stuff. It's after that where you really need the support. And yeah. when I, I said, I thought that's 52 different things I need to write. So I better uh, see if I can do that first before I commit to this. So I sat down. It only took me a couple of days. And I came up with 52 things that went like through the, the whole year, different things that could give her support or things to think about or that sort of a thing. And after I did that, I said, I've got an outline for a book. And so that's yeah, that's did. that's where my books have come from. And actually, I wow. am getting those cards published now with with her love and support. She she just thinks that they'd be great for anybody to be able to pull a card out of a box once a, a week for a year that has that kind of love and support that comes with it. I can't say that I would disagree with that. That sounds like something I would purchase for a, for a friend or myself. To be honest, absolutely. It's so interesting that you brought us back around to those feelings of of being alone, feeling isolated, and not necessarily having something in common with people who haven't had a loss or suffered, because I definitely felt that way after both my parents had passed. It was my senior year of college, and you're supposed to be enjoying yourself and doing all the things that you do, whatever they may be, right, in college with your friends. And I had never felt more alone. I had never felt more isolated. I had never felt more different than people that I had grown so close to. And some of these girlfriends of mine from this private women's college were still dear, close friends today. But in that year, 
I have shared with them since, and they've they've noted from the book since that there were there were issues, right? There were concerns. And I love that you brought that up because far too many times, and I'm sure some of your listeners are probably nodding their heads. Yep, exactly, right? <laughs> far too many times, people who really do love and care about you, but don't know how to talk to you or, or you know, relate to you in that situation or just don't like awkward moments, choose not to. And it's one of the most precarious situations, isn't it odd? And I, I often dole out advice to people and, and, and make sure that people know you can come to me with questions. Um, certainly don't want to throw my husband under the bus or put him on the spot or anything, but my husband often uses me for these moments from the sheer fact that the empathy that you share with someone who's had loss, whereas my husband has yet to suffer significant, you know, immediate family loss, for example, which he's very lucky for, I might add. It's just challenging. It's a challenge to relate to those people. And I will share really quickly some of the easiest things to do. Instead of just saying what people normally say in passing, how are you? Put a hand on someone's shoulder. Most people don't realize that after loss, Love language makes a transition to physical touch. And, and I, that's not for everyone. That is a very general statement. But I personally have always expressed that my love language has been touch. And you'd be surprised how many people don't want to touch you when they don't know how to relate to you, right? So I always express to people that one of the easiest adjustments that you can make, even if you're feeling awkward, is to put a hand on someone's shoulder, maybe a little squeeze on the shoulder lightly, and let them know, I am here for you. I am an ear if you need me to listen. That goes so much further than any BS that you could come up with in the interim to make yourself feel better because you want to be there for them, but you can't, right? Literally just giving someone an ear, literally just listening to what they have to say if they decide they want to talk to you could be the greatest gift. <laughs> I just 100% agree with you on that. There's there's a craving for that touch. And yes. I'm I'm not a touchy person. My family didn't, you know, do hugs and that sort of thing. You know, I married into a family that did, and it took me a while to get used to it. But once I got used to it, I, I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And it especially with all the with the pandemic, people got away from being able to touch each other. And they're right. I think they're still a little bit hesitant to come back. But anymore i don't think you're going to get covid for putting your hand on somebody's shoulder so <laughs> it's don't quote her on that everyone yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> please don't quote me i that that's not a scientific <laughs> fact but i i do think that uh it, that's that's so essential and that listening is so essential you don't have to tell the griever anything you probably don't right. have anything that they need to hear right at that moment you might and that's okay please share if you do but if if you're hesitating because you can't think of what to say, don't worry about it. Just right. one of the things that, that I encourage people do to do is uh, to mention their loved ones. Like, yeah, that's a good uh, one. Yeah, say something like, uh, oh, I remembered when we did this together. Or he was such a great teacher. I heard so many stories about his, his students. Uh, you know, in, in, comments like that. That's that's a lot different than I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> that's just so. such a canned ex, ex, mm -hmm. um, canned response is what I was looking for there. Yes, such a canned response. And I agree with you from that perspective. 
I I will share again, my husband came into my life at a point where he was unable to meet my immediate family because they had all passed already. And one of the things that we love talking about together is over the years, how he's really gotten to know my extended family and their stories about my mom, my dad, my brother, um, but also my parents and my brother's friends that are still in my life. And he revels and relishes those stories because it helps him to learn my parents and my brother, that he never would have gotten that opportunity had he not been such a great listener. And and I want to share that with all of you in in your audience because of the fact that there's so many ways for you to be able to relate to people, even if you don't think you can, right? And what you said, Emily, was so eloquent in the sense that it's okay to share wonderful stories. As a matter of fact, you should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really helps people feel settled. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it it does. I, I just think it's so important because even though the, the person might not be right in that room with you at that moment, you still you still feel their presence. You still relate to them. You still want to remember them. You want to remember the good things, the sweet things, not the, the tragedy that happened when it did or, or whatever happened. And if if you have somebody that, that can listen to you talk about it or they can tell you something that you'd like to hear, that that really helps a lot. When he, for some reason, this just popped into my mind. My, my husband, my first husband who died, was a philosophy professor and his specialty was bioethics. And he had developed a course for nurses to take on dealing with death and dying with their patients. And he was in the hospital a lot the last two years before he transitioned. And during that time, every time we go to the hospital, the nurses would come in and go, oh, Professor Thoreau. You know? And he go, wait, what grade did, he, did I give you? <laughs> Usually the ones that got to be nurses, he got really good grades. And right. <laughs> they, they, they just love that, that. The connection uh, each time uh, they, they and they all had a story about him. And it was so cool that they'd come in and in these times that are kind of challenging with dealing with whatever was going on in the hospital, they had something really cool to say about him. And I, I learned so much about him from all of his students by them being willing to share. It yeah. was wonderful. And it made you feel positive there whatever the feelings mm-hmm. and emotions that were you know emoting and coming out of you at the time were so much more positive in that moment and probably major day right mm-hmm. which i love <laughs> yeah yeah they really did and you need things to make your day when you're in situations like that it, you definitely it do. really is a big impact and and even if the person people don't express their gratitude to you they feel it they really do yeah absolutely You told me something about water that you wanted to share. Yeah, I'm so glad you reminded me. Thank you. So I don't know how many of your listeners, you know, like vitamin water or utilize it, but every vitamin water bottle, and this is a shameless plug, I am not being supported in any way by vitamin water, but perhaps Emily's, Emily Threats, you know, podcast on (laughs) (laughs) grief and happiness, right? Could get a sponsorship from vitamin water for the students, but regardless. (laughs) Vitamin water really surprised me in a positive way the other day when I realized every bottle has a little write-up on it that can be super funny. Most of the time, they are quite humorous. And this one in particular had a very unique spin, and I'll just share it really quick. 
This is the vitamin water, zero sugar, triple X, just for everybody knowing. With selenium, vitamins A and C, triple X has mad antioxidants to fight those pesky free radicals, which is not to say that triple X is angry. It's just that triple X has been seeing a professional and they've worked a lot of stuff out. So let's be more mindful next time, which... Okay, there's a lot to unpack there, but we won't. We'll just go into the fact that vitamin water utilized an opportunity to talk very positively about seeking professional help. And I couldn't help but share it on your show because it's exactly the thought and it's what we're talking about. It's our theme, right? Yes. <laughs> it's seeking yes. professional help for healing journeys. And if vitamin water can put it out there for everyone to see, and I happen to see it, then, and it motivated me, I'm going to start utilizing it in some of my, my speaking engagements. <laughs> I think that's great. It, it's it's so important to find the positive things, you know, and, and how they can relate to what you're doing and feeling. And it, now, whenever you pick up a bottle, you're probably going to smile when you Absolutely. when you think of, you know, Absolutely. The, this reinforces that help that I got. And the, the whole idea of, of getting someplace, professional counseling or with the, the group that I do every week on Zoom, uh, we write together and learn happiness practices together. And we, I consider us a peer group as opposed to a professional group. Yeah. Because we're getting something there that they're not going to get someplace else. So seek what works for you, what whatever that is. And I know some of the people that, that have come to my meetings, are, but I'm not a writer. I said, I don't care. <laughs> you know? You know, just uh, try this. And if it works, great. Keep coming back. If it doesn't, then try something else. But there, there is help out there. And it's it's very important for you. And people always ask me about what to do with, in grief. And I always say the primary thing is self-care. Whatever that means to you. Is Whatever that primary. means to you. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And I will say this. I love what you said there. Um, bringing it back to that healing journey and how to even get on that ride, right? First, it's so necessary to develop that relationship. It's so necessary to feel comfortable in that professional relationship with that person. The more you hold back, the more challenging it's going to be for you to grow. And I'm bringing all this up to say that I may sound like I know what I'm talking about in this moment, but many, many years ago, you know, 20 plus years ago now, when I lost my father and then my mother and then my brother, you know, those moments in time affect you. Whatever your trauma is, doesn't have to be lost. It could be abuse, mental, physical, emotional, whatever, right? It could be so many other things throughout life that have affected you. If you allow those things to stay with you without talking to a professional, what can end up happening and what does, because this is how our minds work, our brains work. They try to heal you, but they they try to protect you first, right? The brain does. And so what ends up happening with that protection is you develop all kinds of anxieties and, and personality disorders, et cetera. If you don't work on those things, that trauma, whatever it was, will manifest in all kinds of negative ways, right? And so for me, I will be honest and transparent, and I will share that my self-sabotage became a huge factor, right? All of a sudden, after losing my mom, my dad, and then my brother, I had determined after losing both my parents and then my brother still being alive, but being a challenge nevertheless in my life, that I wasn't going to have my own family because I didn't want the bottom to drop out of me. But here I am today, happily married with a son, with three dogs and a home that we built together, right? None of this. 
I am being very, very honest with everyone. None of this would have been possible if it wasn't for me getting into therapy and working my shit out, pardon my language, right? Just so necessary to break through the trauma and know that I deserve love. I mean, that's such a simple thing for me to say now. And I still kind of get a teary eye about it because there was a point in time where I was hanging out with people and and having sex with people and drinking and doing drugs and whatever the case may be with people who did not deserve my energy and my time, but I was giving it to them because I thought it was necessary, right? And this is what we do to ourselves. And it may not be that kind of trauma that you go through that creates these kinds of things. It's, It's so many different aspects and ways, but I will say therapy and talking to a professional to work through these things and your relationship with that person is what is going to make you less broken and more of a whole individual to really actually meet those goals in the future. Wow. I I have just loved this conversation and I know that it's going to have some light bulbs going off effect with some of the people that are listening that Oh, yeah, I I could do that. I I could do therapy. There's no reason for me not to. Because one of the things that, especially in grieving, I find people deal with is getting in their own way. And they can talk themselves out of that for a million different reasons. And I'm not even going to suggest the reasons because I don't want to put them in your head. (laughs) (laughs) So what what I would like you to think about is that how who could I go to? Where can I get that therapy? Who can tell me the best place to go to where where I'm living now? What's what's going to help me the most? And find what works for you. And if you go to somebody and they don't work, then go to somebody else. I agree with you on that. I I have I got very lucky in the beginning because being on Agnes Scott's campus, I had the opportunity to work, like I said, with that particular gentleman. And so I was able to work with him for two years. After graduating, I sort of tried again locally to where I was in the greater metro Atlanta area, but between finances and between thinking I was okay and then self-sabotaging myself, right? It sort of fell off. When my brother passed, I knew that I was being affected negatively and knew eventually, and and from the referral from the family friend uh, who was a physician, did decide to start back into therapy again privately on my own. And since then, and again, not trying to throw my husband under the bus or anything here, and I don't think I'm sharing anything that he wouldn't normally share, but we have been in and out of marital therapy as well. Um, And I will share our fun situation just from the perspective of we met later in life. We were in our mid-30s, right, when we met. And so we knew what we wanted out of life and moved very quickly, moved in together within three months. We were engaged by 10 months, right? We were building our home physically, as well as I was preparing us for our wedding and doing our wedding planning. We got married in 2015 in August. Then we went on a month European honeymoon as Europeans do, right? I'm I'm French, so (laughs) French people love a month long honeymoon, right? (laughs) That's a very general statement. So I apologize if I am offending anyone, but we went on a month long honeymoon throughout Europe and that was September. And then October, we decided to come back and it's like literally like the first or second week of October. And we were like, well, we don't know how long it's going to take. We might as well start trying. And we got pregnant on the first try. So, (laughs) yeah, which never happens, right? We all know so many families suffering from infertility issues, whatever they may be. So that was a total shock to us. 
And we never really got the chance to develop our couple relationship without a child there because we were so busy with our other projects, right? He was building our home and I was planning our wedding and we were good or so we thought. Then you throw a brand new infant into it and it's like, you know, <laughs> where do we go from here? And, and how do we know, you know, who's taking lead on what? And it was very challenging, a very challenging first few years, especially for two people who really are not baby people, right? We were much more excited with the post-toddler environment. <laughs> now now we have a seven-year-old, right? That's that's my bread and butter. <laughs> but regardless, and, and needless to say, from that perspective, there are those tiny moments in between where it was necessary for us to get into marital therapy and break down the walls, the barriers, the assumptions, to be perfectly honest, that the two of us were making separately of each other as well as together. And there's no way that we could be in the position that we are as far as our a level of happiness, our level of communication, our level of partnership, if it wasn't for our current therapist. I'm so glad you you said that. And if, as you were doing that, I was thinking you just smile so much and you you are having gone through all you went through, you're happy in your life and it's, it's okay. And it's good. And, and it's, beautiful. I genuinely am. I genuinely am. Thank you very much for saying that because it is something that I do want to say, listen, I know that I am just one person, right. And, and we all suffer from trauma and, and deal with it very differently, right. In my own family, as an example, my brother was four years younger than me. So I was 20 when my father died, he was 16 when he lost his father. And his emotional intelligence did not develop past that particular point, right? And so that in itself was a trauma that was never dealt with because my brother refused to go into therapy, okay? And and from there developed all kinds of personality issues and disorders, right? And on top of having neurodivergencies like ADHD, right? And possibly a little dyslexia, not sure about that one. But regardless, people deal with things differently Um, after losing a second parent. And then unfortunately, and it's in the book, so I won't go into too much detail, but a second parent, he was 17. He was still a minor. I was 21. I was a pseudo adult, if you will, trying to figure life out, but also semi-independent at that point about to graduate college, right? So I knew a little bit about a little bit, not much, right? But enough. But my brother had to go off and uh, his legal guardians became family members of ours per, you know, the legalities, wills, et cetera. This poor child was sent to boarding school Hmm. and everyone knew that his love language was touch and gatherings and being with family and he was isolated. So these were definitely not good things that happened or followed and probably did affect him even more negatively than it could have. But if we were had, had been able and somehow were able to force him into some sort of therapy at some point, who knows what we could have changed, right? My brother was not a genuinely happy person from birth. He was a crying baby, a colicky baby, et cetera. I'm sharing all of these things with you and your readers, uh, readers, readers, listeners, right? To, to express that, again, there are many different kinds of people out there, many different kinds of people who are affected by traumas of all different kinds very differently. We came from the same family, lost the same parents, and somehow I was able to make it through all of this and achieved my goals in life. I'm not only a wife and a mother, which weren't my goals, 
but I'm also a successful business owner. I am my temple's president now, which is a legacy in my family. I mean, I just, these are things, yes, you mentioned that I smile a lot. I truly am genuinely a happy person and I always have been. I might not have been if it wasn't for all the therapy. Wow. Can't get a better advertisement than that. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. I hope that some of your some of your listeners come back to you and let you know, I took the plunge, right? I'm getting into therapy. I mean, that would keep me happy for the rest of my life, even if one person got back to you and said that. You know, with the quantity of people that listen, I'm sure there's going to be more than one. I I really believe that. Uh, You have such a testimony that uh, it just is powerful and people can't help but be affected by that positivity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And we will have all of the the links to uh, Dana's book and about her uh, on the show notes so that you can track her down. And Dana, we didn't even say the name of your book. Would you like to tell us? Oh, the name of my book. Uh Absolutely. I did actually say it before. Oh, did you? I'm sorry. I did. Yeah. But I have no problem saying it again. (laughs) Shameless plug for my own book, right? It's available on Amazon and quite a few, um, I believe Barnes and Noble, Target, as well as some local smaller bookstores, privately owned bookstores, depending on what part of the country that you're in. Um, I've attempted to get it in some bookstores all over the Southeast, definitely in Cheris, in Decatur, Greater Metro Atlanta, as well as Read It Again Books in Suwannee in the Greater Metro Atlanta area. Uh, Two shameless plugs there. Love you guys. But it is entitled Before I Knew It, They Were Gone, A Jewish First Generation American Woman's Journey Through the Darkness. It's available in hardcover as well as paperback and Kindle. I am also considering an audiobook, but that does take some time. (laughs) And I I think it would be wonderful to hear it in your voice. I I really do. That was was very kind of you to say. I I was considering doing it in my voice as well. So we'll see what happens. I've got to make time for that. Yeah, it does it does take a long time to record things like that, but it's it's so worth it for your listeners who respond to that. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, my people, please keep coming back. We always have um, different kinds of guests to talk about different things all related to grief and happiness, knowing that you can be happy and grieve at the same time. So thank you for your support and make sure you get your copy of my new book, The Grief and Happiness Handbook. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.